it's hard to figure out outside of voting, like what is the step for you to participate in a, in a meaningful way. And I think that that's why I think local really matters because it allows people to really authentically and feel good about engaging in whatever way they choose to because they have the information at their fingertips to do so. Despite the tornado of news coming out of Washington these days, many people care more about the stop sign going in down the street than they do about what's going on on Capitol Hill. I'm Michael O'Connell, and you're listening to It's All Journalism. Today I'm talking to Andrea Hart, the co-founder and director of community engagement at City Bureau. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Hey, thank you for having me. So first of all, congratulations. I just heard that uh, City Bureau had uh, been awarded a $1 million grant from Mm -hmm. the MacArthur Foundation to help boost local news coverage that you're doing in the the Chicago area. So how does that feel? Uh, It feels that sigh is like a huge sigh of relief in some ways. It feels really great because on multiple levels, it feels great because it's a huge endorsement for the kind of journalism we're trying to do, which is significant, I think, because we're not alone in wanting to reimagine local news in the way that we're doing it. So I think it's a win for a lot of people in that way. And then I think also it's just really, it's going to be a great next three years for us to really kind of hunker down on what we've been doing. You know, previously, most of the co-founders at some point were working for free, and we have a fellowship program and other things where we've paid folks. So it feels really good to be able to have staff on that we're paying and paying well, and then also to be looking to hire some folks to kind of grow our full-time staff and allow us to kind of experiment and explore as we've been doing, but really to to hone and craft the, the quality work that's been happening. Local news, I mean, it doesn't get as much press as it should be. It's not always thought of in the discussion of journalism and, and some of the challenges that are being faced, you know, with sort of the rise of digital journalism. You know, local journalism, journalism, small newspaper outlets, things that used to cover City Hall and, you know, very important local stories, you know, they've been facing a lot of challenges in the last 10 or 15 years. And so I'm always excited to talk to somebody about who's, who's do, doing something innovative in, the, in this space because it's, it's such an essential part of the journalism ecosphere. Yeah, totally. I think it's essential, too, when thinking about where can folks plug in. I think there's a lot of people who feel pretty hungry for quality information, but then also really care about where they live and want to identify ways in which they can participate and make where they live feel better. Because I think oftentimes with national politics, it's hard to figure out outside of voting, like, what is the step? for you to participate in in a meaningful way. And I think that that's why I think local really matters because it allows people to really authentically and feel good about engaging in whatever way they choose to because they have the information at their fingertips to do so. So how did City Bureau come about? You were there at the beginning. What what was the thinking process at that point? (laughs) So City Bureau came about, this is about three and a half years ago. My background's in a mix of journalism and teaching, but I had been teaching for the last few years at Free Spirit Media, which is a youth media organization on the west side of the city, mostly on the west side of the city. And Daryl Holiday was a reporter at DNA Info covering one of the northwest neighborhoods in Chicago. And we had been introduced by a mutual friend. He came to 
talk to my students about the work he was doing. And then he, we also collaborated on a couple of projects with the students and him. And we just developed this friendship where, and we started talking a lot about how the limitations in our respective jobs in that, you know, youth media is a wonderful space, but then there seems to not, it seems to not get taken seriously enough. And then the young people kind of don't really have on-ramps into journalism in the way that you would think. And then within covering of local news, there's just not a lot of quality coverage of neighborhoods, of all neighborhoods, especially if you live on the west and south side. So we were kind of hashing out these frustrations when Daryl was started having these conversations with Harrison Backlund, who was then the publisher of Southside Weekly, which is a weekly magazine that comes out of a Woodlawn office, and they cover all of the Southside. So they, and he was kind of reflecting on issues within publishing, and then Bettina Chang, who is a friend of ours, was coming back from California, having been an editor at Pacific Standards, so a national magazine, and she definitely has seen issues within as the editor role of all of the similar frustrations that we were sharing in our various roles, she's seen it manifest there. And so from there, we just started talking about what what if we did something? What if we could? How What would it look like to redesign a newsroom? What would it look like to really open it up? Um, we asked just a lot of questions and, and really centered around four central issues, which we knew the problems are systemic. So we wanted to address systems issues. So the first one was there's clearly a lack of diversity in newsrooms and there's that's been that's historic. As a result, we we feel like there's been a lack of quality coverage of the South and West Sides. And because of those two things, there's a distrust that bubbles up from folks, I mean across the city, but especially in those areas because because of those two factors. And then to top it all off, there's been sort of a lack of really exploring what does sustainable business models look like, what do sustainable business models look like when trying to maintain healthy, robust local news. So those were, it was a series of lots of conversations, lots of, you know, having drinks and and, the, and just kind of spitballing ideas and then starting to really implement things in the fall of 2015 and things just kind of really quickly set up from there. I think because the timing was right, I think the networks that the each of each of us had allowed us to really bring people together that I don't think normally had been interfacing consistently. So in actuality, what did City Bureau become? What what was its form when you rolled it out? So when we rolled it out, I was still working at Free Spirit Media work, working with an advanced journalism program that I had created called Real Shy Youth. It's now called Real Shy. And we felt like um, they could maybe benefit from having some additional mentors in the room. But we, our flagship program was a fellowship. I should, let me backtrack actually. So City Bureau's flagship program is a fellowship program where part of one of the biggest issues is lack of diversity. We wanted to prioritize the creating a newsroom that looks like Chicago. So we developed a fellowship that's about 10 weeks long, and it now happens three times a year, and decided to have to recruit some sort of like team leader type folks, folks who have experience in the freelance world, could maybe manage a team, and then also get this other level of journalists who might not have any journalism experience, um, but recruit them and find them as reporting fellows to get mentored by the team leaders. And then we, we realized 
it would be good as part of this fellowship to have them collaborate with a youth media organization because youth are often the most directly impacted by issues in the city of Chicago but have the least agency to talk about it or just are often overlooked as a resource when trying to, to manage some of these issues and how they manifest. So we figured we would have one day of the week where they mentored those young folks. And so that so me working at Free Spirit Media and running this program, Real Shy Youth, that I had created allowed us to have that happening. And then outside of that, the fellows were working in teams reporting on issues in the city. And in our first year, we focused only on policing and community safety. We recognized that it was a big issue. We had a partnership with Invisible Institute who formerly employed Harry and Daryl, and we had access to their police misconduct database that they were releasing. And we felt like in order to really test what we were trying to do, it would be important to kind of cover a singular issue. Obviously, we would have the fellows cover it from different facets, but the agreement was that we would never do a crime story, and we never did. In the year and a half, we had folks focusing on policing and community issues. We really tried to focus on just like how our mission is addressing some of identifying and talking through some of the root causes of issues that were happening with policing and community safety in the city at the time. And then we were also, what also what happened, which was really lovely, was that the young people that the fellows were mentoring were able to contribute to stories that ended up getting published locally and nationally. And so that, to us, was really significant because it proved that the model could work and that what we were sort of thinking had a tangible manifestation. I don't think in anything that we've ever done, we've made assumptions about what the work was going to look like. We're really of the mindset, trust the process, because we want to really try to identify what our healthy, inclusive process sees when doing journalism that center and, and can bring community into the fold more authentically. So how do you involve the community in what you're doing? So there's various ways. So the one way I mentioned is with young people and making sure every fellowship cycle we work with a youth organization. So this summer we're working with Yolokali Arts Reach because and they're based out of Little Village. They largely serve Latinx youth. They do an incredible weekly live radio show. So we're partnering with them. That's one way. We have the Public Newsroom, which is a weekly workshop series every Friday from 6 to 8, usually in Build Coffee, which is the coffee shop connected to our offices. And we allow the public to come in and both learn and as well as present. So that space is really there to break down and demystify elements of journalism, as well as to identify what are assets in the community or what are frameworks that maybe journalists should start implementing into the way they do reporting. So we've had a range of both journalists presenting work they're trying to do and get feedback from the community, as well as having community members present concepts and ideas that they're working on to kind of generate a space of learning around those things. So for example, we have this woman, Val Free, she organizes block clubs on the South Side. And so she came in and did a whole session around what does it look like? What do block clubs clubs look like today? How do we organize them? What's the potential there to try to leverage this very local empowering space that a block club once provided for neighborhoods? So she came in and did that. And the connection there is then that, you know, 
we look to her to collaborate on stuff going forward. And that kind of bleeds into the third thing that we do, which is this documenters program where we train and pay folks to document public meetings. So Val, who is working with all these block clubs, is really interested in getting them to tell their own story. We went in and worked and collaborated on doing documenters trainings with her, the people that she's organizing around block clubs so that they can kind of get some of the basic elements of journalism, but then they've also automatically enrolled into our documenters program. So they can, you know, get sent off and document the police board meeting or Chicago public school board meeting, things like that. And so we try to bring the community in, in those three programs in various ways, whether it's getting story ideas from them for the fellowship, identifying ways for the fellows to share their work that might be beyond a story with with a community partner or in a community space that most directly would like that information. Or they come in and they host these public newsroom workshop series and sort of adding to this alternative canon that we're developing around reimagining local news. And then the last element is that folks can literally, it's very open-ended. Anyone can apply and join. The trainings are free and open. They're usually happening in libraries around the city. So that, those are ways in which we bring them in and always often we, we try to figure out what do they need and if what we can provide actually matches or if there are intersections where we can work together. We never try to make assumptions about what folks need and whether or not a collaboration is going to happen with community groups or community residents or things like that. This is interesting. You've got a, a number of different ideas that I've heard about sort of floating around. In, in community journalism, I mean, certainly, you know, helping to train and empower citizen journalists to, you know, cover city meetings, you know, important events. That's great that you sort of formalize that into a process. Would you describe what you're doing as sort of solutions journalism? You, you know what that concept is? I do know what that concept is. I would say there are elements there. Absolutely. I think before I get into that, I would say, you know, with, with the documentaries program, we're, we don't look at it as like citizen journalists. We look at it as just allowing folks to be good citizens because, you know, Illinois has the, the Public Meetings Act. And so you're allowed to go in and document and it's your right to attend public meetings, to document them, to share that information. And so we think that's really significant. It is something, as we talked about earlier, you know, it's something that I think gets a little lost when local news shops sort of close up or when capacity on the local news level closes up. But it's still such a vital, you know, space where decisions get made and there's such a literacy around it that I think can really benefit folks in trying to make better decisions about where they live. So all of that is to say that it's really to think more about citizenship and how people can be, not be good citizens, but like be the citizens they're allowed to be. So that's, that's how we look at that. If, if folks want to become journalists, they de we definitely have had people from the documentaries program join our fellowship program, and we think that's wonderful. But so just that quick caveat. It was probably unfair of me to, to put the label out, uh, citizen journalist, because that's something that's means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I think clearly you guys are doing something empowering, you know, helping people to do something that they already have the right to do. Maybe not necessarily journalism, but maybe understanding, you know, some of the best practices as a way to do the, do what they're doing better. Yeah, it's mostly that I definitely think that citizen journalism has its place and all of that. I, I think that, but like you pointed to, I think it, it's been used a lot in various ways. 
and so that's why we want to always sort of uh, draw the distinction. Yeah, often dismissively. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I think, unfortunately, it has this sort of weird connotation. I wonder, though. I do think, in some ways, like political climate has opened people up to certain concepts more so than I think previously. And I, I do think in that way, like solutions journalism is one of those concepts that yeah. I think I used to use it a lot in my classroom setting when working with young people. And that to me was really the first place that I saw adopting that concept wholeheartedly. And that was actually part of the reason I left doing traditional journalism and went into working in youth media spaces because it felt really limited. There wasn't a lot of opportunity or willingness to take quote unquote, like creative risks or just these risks that would really question the process of how journalism was produced. And so that was sort of why I transitioned it into teaching or back into teaching, I should say. And I used to use solution journalism a lot there. I would say there are elements of it in what we do in that we don't focus on, you know, like I mentioned before, like we don't focus on crime stories or we don't focus just if, if there's a murder that happens, like that's not really, those aren't the kinds of things that we're reporting on. We mostly take, again, like a systems lens or like a systems approach to the storytelling. I would say like in addition to kind of pulling in elements of solutions journalism, pulling also from sort of a nonprofit youth development perspective, we also pull in this concept of developing an asset lens versus a deficit lens. So that means that I think deficit lenses, we see them all the time. So it means only covering the West and South side when a shooting happens or when school closings happen, instead of actually looking at, oh, there are assets here, there's some resilience here, there's some other stories here that also matter and that also are worth telling, as well as that also helps us in that we don't, you know, when we work with communities, Inglewood is an example of this, so a neighborhood on the south side that's often only in the news for negative things. But when we go into Inglewood, we, we look at what are the assets that are already there, who are, who's already doing work that's sort of mission aligned, how can we collaborate to amplify the work that each of us are doing, and also to, how can that support better local coverage of that area and or, you know, some sort of, you know, collaboration that might result in something we didn't anticipate. So I think that's those are some of the frameworks that definitely influence our approach when it comes to the kind of reporting or programming that we do, whether it's next door in the coffee shop or around the city. Well, what would you say then to somebody who would say, well, wait, why don't you report on crimes? Because, you know, crime is is a community concern. It's something that you know, that's certainly newsworthy. Why would you make it a point not to, to do that? Part of it's like, what is crime reporting and what is effective crime reporting and what is accountable crime reporting look like? I think we still hold those values true of journalism and that we want it to be a public good. We want it to be a space where people can utilize that information to hold folks accountable. We want people to, to feel empowered, you know, in, in the information systems that they have access to. Or make actually, I should say, make information systems more accessible so that people feel better and, and more empowered to do stuff with that information. But it's not necessarily that we wouldn't report on a crime so much as it's taking a step back and looking at what's the push-pull factor here. And also, I should say, like, we don't have a day-to-day -day publication. 
we partner a lot with Southside Weekly and local outlets and, and nationally. So we're not on that sort of daily grind deadline that I think forces folks to cover crime in problematic ways. But we're, and we're actually doing a public newsroom on this next Thursday, co-hosted with the journalism and design group out of New School and Block Club Chicago. We're working together to host a workshop to ask this question of what should crime reporting look like in the city of Chicago? Daryl has been a big advocate for reforming this since his DNA info days. And I think City Bureau has, has is a space where he can actually sort of more consistently ask this question. He generated a Google Doc a couple of years ago, just this public doc where he asked local journalists to contribute to this question of like, what would be better guidelines? Lots of folks said, get rid of mugshots. You know, there's no, don't, don't post mugshots, things like that. So, and we're going to kind of take that document and other things and bring that into next week's conversation to try to figure out what would it look like? What should it look like? You know, I get get why you sort of made it a point not to go to covering crime stories. I mean, if local news coverage is limited, people, the only thing they write are crime stories, then, you know, the reporting has, has a negative effect, uh, yeah. an unintended negative effect that, you know, yes, maybe this is news, this is important to cover, but if this is the only thing you're cover, maybe you're, you know, you're going to cover, maybe this is going to present a false sort of reality that, has a, ne- a larger negative effect. And we did a study with the Center for Media Engagement, or survey, I should say, with Center for Media Engagement out of UT Austin with Talia Stroud. We did this survey in the fall, or it was like late summer last year, fall, and then released it in January, where you definitely see the feelings of residents on South and West Side, how they talk about the news in that survey and the results would indicate that that's definitely the consequence of it. And there's still a desire for folks to cover crime and policing. But I think that it's worth kind of reassessing, like, what's what's working and what's not working, given what those residents are saying they're feeling about it. So for doing this, uh, for, you know, City Bureau being around for three years and and doing the type of news coverage, promoting the type of news coverage that that you you have been doing, what have you been seeing as the successes of the program? I think one of the biggest successes is the relationships that get built. We we still live in one of the most segregated cities in the country. I think it's second, maybe. We float between first and second. And I think one of the biggest things has been the relationships that get built. It's an incredibly generated space. So we've had fellows that have gone on to generate their own outlets. So 90 Days, 90 Voices, they've been covering a lot of immigration issues within the city of Chicago that came out of fellows that got together post their fellowship. We've had documentaries get together and start convenings like um, their lady documentaries of Edgewater, which is this pretty diverse north side neighborhood. And it's a mix of folks interested in learning tech and other things. And we've even had this tech community, the civic tech group of coders, come out of some of the work we've been doing with documenters. They see City Bureau's mission. They love what we're trying to do for journalism and and newsrooms and feel very similarly about the civic tech space and coder space. And so they've started trying to generate a similar sort of meetup that's decentralizing some white males in that space and really trying to see what if they could open up 
the coding community to be more inclusive, what would that look like? So I think, and all of that has manifested from relationships, folks that wouldn't have normally met each other otherwise. So I think that's always, to me, that's the number one marker of success. I think the second one, what we're seeing, and I think it's lovely, is that we do see our fellows getting hired into newsrooms, whether it's, you know, working with BEZ or working at the Sun-Times. And that's exciting because, you know, these it's helping to diversify these newsrooms. It's also a little bit weary because these newsrooms, I wonder if the newsrooms are ready to work with folks that are, you know, non-white. I, I sort of wonder if they're ready to actually, you know, kind of de- I think there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen in traditional newsrooms when trying to think about how they cover news. And I, I often wonder, you know, what is it like to be put into those newsrooms as like a non-white person and trying to navigate that space? You know, it's great. We love that we see our fellows get hired and get employment, gainfully employed and get to continue to tell stories. But I also always wonder what, what's it like to kind of work in those spaces that might not necessarily be ready for them. But that is another success. I would say also that I feel like some of the coverage that's happened in the city and some of the ways that the media, local media, has taken things seriously. So, for example, when The Reader published a very problematic, racist cover image with J.B. Pritzker on it, Mark Conkle, who had just been hired as the editor-in-chief, was very quickly removed from his position. And I would say that it's a few things there. It's not just City Bureau. I think it's the climate that we're in. But I, I do think part of what is happening is that we're generating a space where journalists who work in institutions or otherwise or community members who want better, they have a space where they can go to talk about it and generate ideas around it. And I do think it's manifesting in some of the coverage and other things that have happened in the city and local media. So is there a sense that this is a type of model, that the the City Bureau model is something that could uh, be taken to other cities and sort of expanded? So we're very much local. I mean, we, we, I like to say that we're unapologetically local. We love Chicago. I think the reason we've manifested in the way that we did and how we do what we do, I think it's entirely Chicago. I think you can see that in even like certain musicians yeah. who come out of Chicago and how they manifest. So there's that. But however, so we don't necessarily want to be a national organization, but we are really interested in trying to support mission-aligned folks beyond Chicago because you know, it's trying to spotlight on other people that are trying to do this work. It only helps in to the work itself to get, you know, taken more seriously. And also, I think, to kind of build this collective around the kind of local news we want to generate, as well as just, you know, the ways in which we want to reimagine even civic participation. It's only going to be stronger the more we have, you know, sort of how we do it in Chicago. The more people involved, the stronger it is. And so, we, so we're so we figuring that out now. With Detroit, we've been testing out. We had WDET, which is the public radio station there, was interested in what would a pilot of documentaries look like. So we've been testing out that program there with them and now Citizen Detroit and a couple of, we're trying to identify potentially other partners, but really that's just a test. We, it might not actually launch, but at least to try to figure out what could that look like. And then 
in the Mississippi Delta, we've been partnering with Mississippi Today, which is the only nonprofit news organization in the state that covers the whole state of Mississippi. And we've been working with two reporters out of the Delta, Kelsey Davis and Aaliyah Wright, who are really interested in trying to do quality community engagement work. And Aaliyah has seen our public user model in action in Chicago and was really interested in bringing it there. So we've been sort of testing out what would it look like to do that in a very rural setting. Um, and so we did their first one in May. They'll do another one in August, and we're kind of coaching them along. And we've had other requests. You know, we've, we've had folks in Philly. We've had people in North Carolina. You know, there's folks across the country, even people in Ohio. So there's an interest, and I think for us, we're definitely interested in seeing, like, how do we, again, design a collective around this kind of work? But in our true fashion, you know, we don't know what that'll look like. We don't, we're not going to make any assumptions. And we definitely don't want to sort of fall into some traditional structures. I think oftentimes putting my, like, nonprofit hat on, having seen nonprofits, try to expand nationally, I've definitely seen when they do that, they compromise their mission because it's more about sustaining the size than it is about sustaining the mission. So I think that's something that, you know, is always present in our minds. So within whatever we do in terms of trying to explore what remixing and doing this work in other places, part of it also comes with remixing and reimagining like structures that are healthy and, and growing sort of with integrity. So before we get, we go though, do you, what, what do you see is in the future for city bureau? So the future of city bureau, I see us, you know, really hunkering down in the programs that we're doing and trying to expand better with Spanish language and maybe others within the city of Chicago. I'm really excited about that. I think that we will tweak elements of our fellowship and see what it looks like to have some year-long fellows so that we can generate even more quality, you know, investigations or other content around pressing issues in the city. And I think that I see us continuing to try to really point to and see who else is out there, like, you know, nationwide to keep amplifying this work because it takes more than one nonprofit out of the city of Chicago to really move the needle on these these systemic issues in journalism. I'm really been impressed with, you know, the stuff that you've been talking about and just the your whole approach to, you know, setting up these these public newsrooms, uh, helping people to, to cover the community better, you know, opening opportunities for people to pitch stories and communicate with you to to try to better cover the South Side of Chicago. Andrea, this has been great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this podcast. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Nick Hunter provided a web assist and research. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, did you ever want to find out how to produce your own podcast? Well, you know, as you may know, I've written a book, Turn Up the Volume, A Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting. And you can find out some details about that at uh, 
itsalljournalism.com. But if you also go there, you'll begin to see some videos that I'm creating about certain aspects of producing a podcast episode. So the first one has been posted this week. It's about how to uh, edit audio in the Audacity program, which is a program that you can download free online. So check it out. We're going to be producing more how-to videos like this about, you know, how to conduct an interview, how to, I don't know, edit episodes, post episodes online. If you have any questions or any topics that you'd like us to sort of discuss in these videos, drop us an email at editor at itsalljournalism.com. Otherwise, check out the video, let us know what you think, and uh, maybe start your own podcast. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The Capital Culture Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Nania and Jason Fraley. We have a new podcast called Capital Culture. Each week we go in-depth with chefs like Marcus Samuelson and writers like Bon Appetit's Adam Rappaport. We'll also talk plays with Kathleen Turner, movies with Emma Stone, and music with Smokey Robinson. Not to mention some of your favorite WTOP voices. The Capital Culture Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Finish the Game Podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Draw play to Sean, across the 10, the 5, touchdown Seahawks! Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game Podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.